Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise, a podcast where we speak to Cinta Lane and amazing comedians and creative characters from across the globe. People who inspire comedians like you and me to live our life on our own terms. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends, give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes, and most importantly, subscribe. And today's guest is an absolutely scintillating and fantastic comedian. You, you, you guys are going to absolutely love him. He's a man who's won many comedy competitions across the country. He's, he's from the same place as Ron Weasley. <laughs> and he is, he is a comedian who's fast growing on the UK scene. And I'm pretty sure you're going to hear about him very soon. Please welcome Darren Griffiths. <laughs> How are you doing? I've never, I've never introduced me. He's from the same place as Rod Weasley. I think people are going to think this guy be like Hogwarts. They think, where is he from? <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, it's fake, fake family, And to tell, it's a, tell us a bit about like yourself and of course the place where you and Ron Weasley <laughs> come from. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I am Darren Griffiths. Uh, I am from Harlow, um, Essex. So that, that is where me and Rupert Grintz um, are from. Um, I'm not sure if he grew up in, in Harlow, but I know he is, he is born there. It's quite, quite a few famous people are born, born in Harlow, um, but not, it doesn't seem that many were raised there. But, uh, yeah, he, um, he, what can I say about Harlow? It's uh, just a town that's on the outskirts of London. Um, and a, a new town, a post-war new town that's, um, it's so post-war new town is one of those weird places, very planned and you have roundabouts everywhere and there's no kind of real roads. You just have estates next to estates next to other estates. So you'll, you'll enter an estate and you'll have like the name of it and then numbers and arrows pointing which direction on the road you're meant to drive to get to say number 72 it's say drive up this road we want to get to number 47 turn left and it's, it's very odd it's all very planned and mapped out and stuff so ah, okay that's that's interesting no odd place it's not place but um, yeah that's that that is where i'm from uh, that's where i'm born and raised and, and the playground is where you spent most of your days <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but what 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 is the um so you said there about it's a unique place and like you you've got a very good joke on the area and is that yeah. joke completely true <laughs> yeah so it, it's based in truth so yeah the joke being that um it's it's 95 white and the other five percent just white people didn't understand the question but um it, it's a very is it's not a most diverse um town but it's strange because it, although it's not that diverse, there are um, there are like not so, not not communities, um, but there are sorry there are communities, but they're not um, it's not geographical. So you won't just have an, an area that's just for like African Caribbean and then an area for Asian. That that's not the case. You'll have everyone's oh. spread apart. But for example, in in Harlow, there's two or three like African Caribbean barbers. There's um, Caribbean like food shops and places to buy groceries. Similarly, there's Asian um, places as well, um, Eastern European. So everyone's everyone's got their shop and their you know their and whether it comes to religion, there's mosques there. There's oh. no, um, actually it's not a mosque, it's an Islamic center. They haven't got a full mosque there. 
Um, I think there's other religious places of worship as well. I can't feel off the top of my head. I just definitely know there's an Islamic center. Um, so, so within the so within the town, there are although black people kind of spread apart, they they we do actually tend to know each other, which is kind of hilarious because it's almost uh, like a it's almost like a racist trope, isn't it? When someone sees one black person and assumes they know another black person. But in Harlow, that may actually be true. <laughs> if you do, if you do know one black person from Harlow, it isn't actually that odd if you was to ask me, "Do you know this person?" Because he's from Harlow too. I, I may actually know them. So, uh, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, when 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 you're in Harlow, you take that as truth. But when you come down to London, and people have said that, ha has anyone actually said that? <laughs> what well, uh, what if another what? If they've asked what if I know another black person from Harlow, no, but if they've said, I'll just know, just know another black person, yes, that, that's happened. And I'm just like, what? why would I, why would I know that? Why would I know that person? This is London, like, no, but um, <laughs> but someone has gone, oh, like, you know, there's another comedian called Johnny Cochran. So when I said I was from Harlow, they go, oh, do you know Johnny Cochran? And I was like, yeah, I do actually. And then they felt really like conscious that they've met him to realize what they've yeah. done. They go, oh. I've mentioned another black person who's from Harlow. I go, no, no, we literally grew up in the same neighbourhood, went to the same primary school, secondary school, at sixth form. <laughs> I, 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 and I know his brother and sister. Like, I, we, we do know each other. It's like, oh, okay. It's a bit, it's a bit like the thing where people go to... Um, like if I went to America or certain parts of America where there's mm -hmm. only Americans and only a couple of Brits, I'll probably be friends with the couple of Brits that are there. Exactly. Yeah, build the community. Yeah, exactly that. So you don't have to live next door to them, but you you'd fast work out who the other Brits are. Just be going around town and seeing their faces and hearing them speak. And 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 when you go to do things that Brits are interested in, so when there's football on, and you you go to a bar that shows football, it's likely there's going to be other Brits if it's like a Premier League game, and so you're going to just naturally start seeing other british people in in these in the activities you're interested in okay so so similarly in a town like harlow if you if they end up having an event where it's uh you know some kind of caribbean or african themed event then naturally caribbean and african people are going to go to this event and then you'll go to see other people who are like that from your town so that's yeah. So you just end up, yeah, so you end up knowing each other that way, and 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 in some in some ways it's a bit of a it's a it's a it's a good and a bad thing in a way because if you're just a if it's all white and you're white then there's not you don't necessarily have that sort of community you, you you're not as sort of as into each other because yeah. as there's so little of you you have to sort of help each other out in order to feel right and all right. But at the same time, maybe because you're a minority, you have to build a bit more character, interesting things because of it, because you're the minority, because you stand out from what's there. You have to find a way to adjust. Is that yeah. right? I don't know. No, I think, I think that's pretty much right. I mean, imagine it was, I guess, in some ways easier for me because I was just born into that. Whereas, I guess, some, whereas for my mum and dad, I guess, well, one moving from, so both my parents are Jamaican. Uh, they met while here in the UK, but um, I guess I'll speak on my mum's story so I know that more. Um, you know, moving from Jamaica as a teenager um, to, to South London, 
um, and then moving out to Harlow and having like settling down and having oh, kids. God, yeah. It's like that must so even just from Jamaica to London must have been a massive culture shock. Um, and then going from London to Harlow must have been just absolutely mind blowing. And that's all in yeah. the space of just four years. Yeah, four years of arriving in the UK to then being uh, lived in Harlow. <laughs> so, so I always find it strange whenever I meet any kind of immigrant in Harlow, not in a kind of xenophobic way. It's just more of a interest of how did you end up here? Like, I, I understand, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I understand how an immigrant ends up in London or Manchester or Birmingham, where it's a big major city. But when they end up, I meet someone who's like Polish and then she, they've just come straight from Poland to Harlow. I'm like, like how? Like, do you, do you, does, does your sister live here? Did your sister come a few years before and said it's okay here? Like, what made you come to Harlow out of all the places on the planet? <laughs> why are you, why are you in my town? Like, my town's like such a strange place to, to rock up. So I find it always, always find it really interesting. Well, that's one of the things about the UK as a whole. I mean, with all the things is we we got we're we're quite lucky compared to a lot of places in the world. So I mean, yeah. like, people, there's so many great things here. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's why I, I guess yeah, I guess London is the place people know, but is so ridiculously expensive to be there. So yeah, I can't understand why people may not want to go to London exactly. Yeah, I've I've seen the rent prices like in, in if you go to Sheffield or something, it's like two hundred, three hundred pound a month compared. Yeah, in, in Sheffield you could literally you well what you could well, like a one bedroom flat in London, I think you can actually buy Sheffield. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's ridiculous the prices in London. It's but it's also it's it's also so let's go and talk about sort of so what I want to talk about here is so you from another interview, you you have quite a performance background and you sort of did a six form speech and then you only got into comedy sort of years later. Right. Yeah. But we'll talk. That's one of the things I want to talk about then. Sure. Then the other thing you mentioned a very good point there about London being very expensive. And it's a bit something that I sort of associate with London and maybe other comedy scenes in America because they're so big and so many people want to go into them. I think there's a part of them that can be quite exploited because of it. Like there's a lot of bringer gigs in London because it's such a big city and so many people yeah. want to be comedians. And in America, there's lots of bringing gigs. They charge a lot of money. And yeah, it's, I mean, we're okay here, but up there, they're 10 times worse. Oh yeah. No, definitely. I think, yeah, there's, I said, there's a lot of gigs. I can't imagine what it's like to be outside of, like you speak to some comedians who are from London um, or near London. And, you know, they, it's, it's one, one or two clubs in, in the whole city. Yeah. And they're all trying to get into those two clubs. So the competition's absolutely mental to get into them. Whereas I guess in London, even if you don't get into your top, five, six clubs in London, there's enough gigs that you can actually just gig. You may not make money from that, but if you're just trying to work on your craft and get better, there's still a lot of gigs about. Do, 
do do we maybe have it a bit too lucky at times because i feel some some of the, the heroes that we have and some people that have like really made it they've had massive struggles or like they've had to go through a lot of different things i had someone on a podcast from zimbabwe they only had two yeah. gigs six hour drives yeah yeah like he even said in one of the gigs in South Africa, he's having gangster on stage. If he bombed on stage, he might die <laughs> twice. <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know what you mean. No, um, yeah, no, I think, I think, that, I think there's definitely um, a truth. To, I think it's definitely true. I think, um, you, yeah, you bec- you can become quite lazy. I think in London, in the sense where you know you could take maybe six months off. And then just get back into gig, and there'll be gigs for you. For you, it, it, they may not be at the same level that you were doing before, but there will still be gigs for you. Whereas, imagine in, um, in in that scenario with the comedian from South Africa, um, is it not Long John? Yeah, so is it? yeah. Um, with yeah, coming from South Africa, he, he knows that if he doesn't impress in that gig then that's him waiting for a year or two before he gets the gig again. So he has to get it right. He has to nail it down for that night and stuff. So, yeah. But I have a feeling, and like Steve Harvey as well, who really struggled, like he was homeless or whatever before he got his mm. big break. I have a, do you, do you think that perhaps that may give some comedians an edge over London comics because they have to push that bit harder? Because like, so. You seen this? You know, in this, you found a Batman. Oh yeah, I love him. Dark, Dark Knight films, and there's one where comment which is the one with Bane in it, and Bruce Wayne gets sent to that prison, and he has to jump from. He's trying to escape the prison, and he has to jump from like one platform to the to the other, and he has the the rope around his waist, and he he, he keeps on failing to jump. And then someone says to him, you need to take the rope off. And the, the fear of knowing that if you don't make the jump, you'll die. That's the extra boost you need for you to make that gap. Mm. And then he, so he takes the rope off and he, he, he makes the jump and leaves and, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and it's, so I think there's an element of that. I think maybe, you know, the London, London scene or, coming from a cushy lifestyle kind of acts as that rope where, you know, if I don't do well with these gigs and comedy doesn't work out for me, then ah, it's whatever. I've got a decent day job. I've got a good life outside of comedy. doesn't really matter. Whereas I think if you are someone who's, who does approach it in a way that this is my only way to success or happiness or whatever you're pursuing through it, then it's that I think you do you approach it in a very different way. Yeah. So but you mentioned in one of I think one of the things is with comedians as a whole though, what there is a bit of like there's some people that are very passionate and very focused on it, but they're not necessarily getting to the levels they want to get to. I'm not speaking yeah. their names or anything like that, but they're putting a lot of work in, but they're not going anywhere. Yeah. And like what would you say is because you mentioned in one of the podcasts before that comedians and i think all of us have an ego to a degree yeah there's quite a quite a number of us that have egos to the point where it overmatches our skill level yeah yeah no but yeah so how do you say is a point for someone to assess themselves and be aware 
of themselves? Um, I think it's always it's do do gigs that are challenging. So I think if you're doing the same gigs and you're getting very resentful that you're doing the same gigs, um, there's a part of you that I, I think there's part of you that you're doing those same gigs because you know you can do well at those gigs. But if you're just going to be doing those same gigs, you're not going to progress. So I think you need to you need to try and put yourself in a position where you're doing just different types of gigs. So while you'll end up exposing yourself to different eyes who may actually provide you with a different opportunity, but we also do is you put yourself from different audiences that will give you a reality check that you're probably not as good as you think you are. So I've seen I, I've been at gigs where I think the crowd is rubbish. The crowd, I, I've, I've gone on, I've done my 10, 15 minutes, and like, the crowd's dead. They're not really up for it. I've seen another comedian go, the crowd's dead. So I knew the crowd was dead. Then the headliner comes. And the, the headliner's not famous, but they are just an experienced, like, touring comedian. And they've been doing it for 15 years. And they come, and then they absolutely destroy the room. And then I'm just like, oh, Maybe the crowd weren't rubbish. <laughs> maybe so that kind of shows me that ah, maybe it, it's just me then. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I am, and I need to work on that. That I am now the guy who enters the room that everyone's dying in, and the crowd are rubbish, and it's too hot, or it's too cold, or the mic's rubbish, or the lights too. All these things that are these are the reasons why I didn't do well tonight. And I just walk into the room, and it's actually like no, the crowd are now in hysterics. And it doesn't matter who the crowd are, no one can come off stage and go, oh, it's because, you know, the crowd, of course the crowd are going to like you because of X. It's just simply, no, I'm good at my job <laughs> and, um, and, and I've worked hard at it and I'm actually good rather than just thinking I'm good and being resentful that I'm getting. Yes, yes. And, that's, and what do you think... <laughs> What do you think has enabled you? What have you noticed from like, because you've you've gigged from levels of like with the really top tier to the middle tier to the bottom yeah. tier, and you can yeah. see the differences between the different communities. Yeah. What have you noticed about each sort of level of comic? So I'd say that the we start from bottom to top. So yeah. lowest level comedian. Um, It'll be the things that will hold them back will be simply experience, just haven't just gigged enough. So when they become stuck, so example, they tell them what they think is their best joke, the crowd doesn't laugh, they panic because they in their head they go, I'm gonna say my five minutes of jokes and my 10 minutes of jokes, and this is where people laugh. And when they don't, it's this kind of, oh no, I'm lost, they haven't laughed that bit, I'm not funny, they can see I'm a fraud. And you can literally see in their eyes that it's like deer in the headlights, like I'm having a meltdown. I oh, know. Um, so, and they don't have anything to get out of that. So it's like a lack of experience, and that whether that's experience of gigging in different places or different crowds or whatever. Um, and sometimes, even before they get on stage, they psych themselves out. They they think too much. They they'll focus on the oddest thing in the crowd. That's the, the gig's not going to go well. Like they, it, it's hard. If they, if they don't like that person who that you've just gone on, because they think that person's funny, or they're not going to find that. They're not going to find me funny. And so if they, if anything, the new person, their worst enemy is themselves. Kind of thing. But it's it's all very overcomable. Then in the middle, 
um, I guess the thing about the middle people is the ones who've had a taste, a little bit of success, they almost have too much arrogance. They've had a taste of it. So because they've gigged at like a comedy store or top secret a few times, they then talk to everyone below them as if they, I've been doing this for ages. It's like, you haven't, you've been doing it for like four and a half years and well done. You've, you've got on stage at the top secret, sharp. It's like, well, they'll talk to people in a way that is, they'll, they'll talk down to them. So their issue is their arrogance. Um, and I guess that's the, if I was picking the levels, that's the level I'm in, is that middle stage. But it's, I feel like I don't have, well, I'm always checking that I don't have the arrogance when I go on stage or when I'm talking to people, when I'm talking to a new comedian. But also in that middle stage as well, they're so focused on getting to the next level that they always become a bit cutthroat and a bit, a bit, um, just a bit not nice, really. So, you know, there's, yeah, it's like if you speak to them backstage and they want to know who you are and uh, can they use you as a stepping stone to get somewhere or if you're someone yeah, worth yeah. talking to. So they'll speak to you, not oh, what's your name? Cool. And then they want to know, it's like they're, they're almost got, there's certain things in their head that are waiting for you to say that will make them go, oh, you're someone worth talking to. So if you've got, uh, X amount of followers on social media, or that you you've got TV credit, or you you tour with this person. What, what if they hear that, then they're suddenly like, oh, you're actually someone worth talking to. You're you're someone I I respect now because you've said you've said you know the key words I was looking for. Uh-huh. But yeah, but if they see a lot of times I've had that with you know they they've seen me they're talking to me and they're like, oh, I haven't seen you about, and then they don't really know who I am, fine. I'll go on stage and say, let's say it goes well, it goes well on stage and oh yeah, cool, you, you're like really funny. And then it's still a kind of standoffish kind of thing, they don't know me. And then maybe we'll be talking about where we've gigged and then I'll say places where I've gigged. And then they'll suddenly be like, oh, Wait, so what's your name again? And this is like, no, it's like, I'm now going to start listening to what you're saying. Um, so that's what I find the middle uh, guys that like that. And then the top guys, they're the most interesting ones to me because they're the ones that you think would have that arrogance. They don't. Uh, you'd think they'd only talk to people that can give them something. No. Like they, they are just so much more open and. I think that's where it comes from um, a confidence and a, a calmness of they maybe just being happy with where they are. Yeah. Yeah. So like I remember meeting Alan Carr backstage on the, the, the gig. Um, yeah, and, and basically it was a gig I was doing where they didn't say who the headliner is. They don't mention who the headliner is to the audience. It's just a surprise headliner. So I was so I didn't know who the he- headliner was until maybe a minute before the show and then the guy organized going oh by the way it's Adam Carr so he's like oh okay I was like wow <laughs> it's Adam Carr um and then he came in and and he's just so so down to earth and similar to every other big comedian I've met where they come into the room they look you in your face and they go hello I'm Alan and then you you know you're there laughing going you know I know who you are. Like why are you saying <laughs> why are you saying you're Alan? It's like, oh, I'm Alan, what's your name? And they want to know about you. 
they want they they want to know yeah. oh so yes how long have you been gigging for and oh brilliant and how are the crowds and they they talk to you in a way that makes you go oh we're on the same level here we're not but you're taught to me like we are and so yeah. i've always tried to take that going forward now where now whenever i turn up to a gig because i know i am not that level that alan carr is or any other big actor gigged with i then go right if they can talk to other people like human beings then i really should make the extra effort to talk to the person who's done five gigs and they're they're bricking it but they don't really know what to say to go hey you know chill out it's, it's fine you'll be fine just just have fun and try to pass that down that's that's an interesting point that you brought there because I, I had a what's it called an LA composer in the podcast yeah. and he spoke to all sorts of celebrities and all these famous people and I chat with him and he said one of the reasons for maybe why some of these people got really famous is because they're like what you said there yeah rather like, than them acting like that yeah I think there's uh, um, uh, authenticity about certain people where people like them because I, I, I imagine there are there's going to be top performing acts and celebrities who are just almost, uh, you know, sociopathic. <laughs> and they just know I'll just make friends with this person and I'll use them for this, then I can go here, jump here, use them for that. But I think to what end? Because that's a lot of effort to, to maintain that. Whereas if you could make it through the world just being yourself and just being genuine, then uh, I imagine it's a much easier journey to ah. to take if you're more genuine. Do you think that might be part, would you think it's possibility, part of why some of them are having problems later in life because they feel guilty or there's all these weights of some of the things they've done to get to that level? Something that throws so. you here about celebrities. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think that, and I think also when you build something on a foundation that's not authentic, it lacks integrity. Even if you just think about what the word integrity means, like in the sense of, you know, if a building has integrity, it means it's going to stand, and it's going to withstand different weather and different things, right? Like if a bike has integrity, the wheels are going to bend, the spokes are going to break, the gears are going to fall apart. It, it's true to itself. Um, it, it serves the purpose where it's meant to serve. So if you build something without integrity it's going to start falling apart at some point and the bigger you get is the more weight you're going to put on it so if you if we use the analogy of a table and if you build a table for integrity it might not be the best looking table but if you build with integrity and, you, and it's, it is what it is then certain people start putting things on the table they'll they'll start using the table and be like okay this table seems like quite a good table it's quite sturdy We'll start putting more things on it. But if you make, if you build a table without integrity, but you make it look a very nice table, people start using it. It's going to start falling apart eventually. This table and it's going to fall apart either when there's a few things on it, or like you said, when they become a big celebrity, and there's loads of things on the table, and then it falls apart, and then we're all there to watch it. We're all there to watch the absolute mess and carnage of when, <laughs> of when it all falls apart. So, yeah. And you, you mentioned something there that's a very good point. I mean, what you said there, when you say you chat to someone and you say this and that, and then they only remember your name when you say you've done this and that. 
that is like the perfect example of finding out who someone is. Like if you're yeah. like if you're a waiter, they, there's a quote in it. If you're a waiter, or if you're this and that, you're the perfect person to see who someone is. So I mean, it, yeah. it's a good technique, I think, for any comedian out there, even if they are doing well, yeah. just to never mention it and just see how they act to you. Yeah, no, definitely. Because I think it's like. Um... I, I, I always made a rule to myself that whenever I enter a room, like if it's a green room, I always say hello to everyone in the room. Um, I don't just say hello just to the comedians because I've seen that before where people enter a green room and they just say, well, I know they're a comedian, I know they're a comedian, so I'll say hello. And then someone else will talk to you. You'll say something, oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm second on. And then they go, oh, you're a comedian. Yeah, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll talk to you then. And it's like, fine, like, but I, I, was, I was always a human being. I was always in this room. <laughs> and for all they know, I, I could have been um, I could have been a casting director. I'm not a comedian, I could have been a casting director. I could have given them an opportunity. They would have wanted to speak to me. I could have been writing something. Or, in each, and that's not a reason for you to speak to someone because they can give you something. But the point I'm making is, is their, their reason for talking to me was because they wanted something out of me or they wanted some respect or they wanted to know whether they needed to respect me or not. So even if you was approaching it in a way where you just wanted to use people, it's actually a bad technique to not actually just talk to everyone. And if you're actually just trying to be a decent person, then it's actually good just to talk to everyone in the room anyway. So yeah, that was my interest. Okay. And, and what's what would you say is the flip side of that where you don't get the other way you know you get get things done to you the other way because there's also even if you are all right there's quite a lot, a lot of times where it'll get taken the wrong way and people would try and be like i've got shit that i can't handle so this person's nice they're weak let's throw all my dog shit in there <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean so you mean someone, someone what just takes advantage of someone who's nice yeah know. i'm saying it's good to have good intentions but yeah. it's like not being naive and not be oh yeah yeah. how yeah, to sure. sort of be prepared and handle people who would take it the wrong way and try and like yeah and try to take advantage of you um yeah i mean basically i think you have to just do the things you want to do so if you're being nice because it's inauthentic to be nice for the sake of being nice if you if that's not what you want to do like i think there's a strange thing with us as comedians that i mean everyone actually you get I mean, even when people get on stage if you're not a nice person and then you enter a room and you stay true to yourself there's almost a likability about you because you just don't care that no one doesn't like you you're not pretended you're just like i'm grumpy i'm moody leave me alone and that kind of translates to comedians when they get on stage and they portray this character of I, I hate life but when they get on stage and they carry on that character if it's really them as the audience you tend to find that quite kind of endearing that they just they don't care well this one of the things that i found quite interesting one thing i've come across quite a lot of is and, and also in comedy and I've sort of figured it out something I thought about. How can someone claim to be a good person or a nice person if they're not disciplined, if they don't have character, if they're not mentally secure? Because as soon as something comes in that goes against that, the real them is going to show. And I yeah. see a lot of that in comedy or in all sorts of situations where you see the niceness. But come on, man, how can you guys not be aware of this person 
you know, they, they need discipline, strength of character, balls. Yeah. This person doesn't have that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're nice because they haven't had like any kind of challenge to to overcome. So their life's easy. So it's very easy for them just to be nice <laughs> until something horrible happens. Yeah. yeah well, it's it, well, it's like you see it. Like when you see Bill Burr makes a good joke in it. Like with male feminists, when you yeah. see a lot of them, they're they're just super nice guys. Very weak. Like they're not they're not sort of people that have any character. How could you yeah. expect them to be truly nice and a decent person? Yeah, I know you mean. Yeah, this again, it's that inauthenticity, though, right? Like if yeah. you, if you, yeah, if you're, yeah, it's very easy to be nice to people, be nice to you. Like if someone's not actually being nice to you, then how how nice are you? Um, and I guess what you you asked earlier about you know how do you, um, if you are being nice, how do you not get taken advantage of? Um, no, I said it is that again because always I think it's always boils down to authenticity, really. If um if you're being nice for the sake of being nice, because you think it'll get you somewhere, then you'll get found out. If you're generally just being nice, so if you're just being friendly backstage and someone uses that to take advantage of you, if you're like if you're offered okay, let's give an example, you're at a gig out of town, uh you offer to give someone a lift home. You say I can give the headliner a lift. I, I can I can drop the headliner back to London. Um, so someone who's genuinely nice, they offer that because they're heading back to London anyway, and it's whatever. They don't really care. So if the person then says, "Yeah, fine, I'll I'll take a yeah, give me a lift, drop me wherever in London." If the person then in the car goes, actually, could you drop me somewhere else? Someone who's is it's not it's not not being nice if you go no, <laughs> hmm. no, I can't drop you there because the agreement was to drop you to London, so I'm just going to drop you to London. If you're someone who's actually inauthentic though, and you just give them a lift because you think, oh, this guy's been on TV, and if I drop him where he wants to be dropped, it'll get me somewhere. So if this guy goes, actually, don't drop me in London. I need to be dropped somewhere in Kent. But then you go, well, it's it's this it's this comedian. I'm going to do it because then me and him will be good mates and then he'll sort me out in the future. So you drive, you know, 30, 40 miles out your way, drop him off in Kent and he goes, cheers, mate. What's your name again? And then you're just left to go, oh, and he goes, yeah, nice one. Speak to you later. And then you add them on Facebook and Instagram, and they don't. They just accept it, but never talk to you because they just think of you as a fan, and they've completely forgotten who you are. Yeah, but because you wasn't being authentic, you now put yourself in this situation where you've now gone out of your way to give this person a lift. You're now annoyed because you're now your day's been extended by an hour and a half because he wasn't being authentic. He wasn't actually being genuinely nice you you're trying to be nice to to get somewhere mm. in life so and that's, and that's i think that's how people end up especially in comedy you end up getting people very bitter and resentful because they've just tried to be nice to actually get things and they haven't got the things what well, this this the thing that i want to avoid in comedy is the rat race that's the yeah. thing that i want to avoid doing because there's a big rat race and a lot of it and the biggest thing for me at the moment is to avoid that and just to focus on trying to look honestly at yourself and being a better comedian and avoiding yeah. all the rubbish and that's, yeah, that's yeah. the main focus for now 
I think so. I think we, we, I've, everyone's heard it from the beginning. Is you know, you just got to focus on yourself, focus on being the best comedian you can be, improve your material, and we hear it, but we just don't listen to it. <laughs> we, no. we uh, even me myself, uh, I'll be on my post on my thing. I just need to work on this joke, post my thing. Then I'll open social media and see this person's been signed to that thing, or this person's appearing on this show, or this person's presenting this. I'm like. How have they got that? And they're like, Darren, Darren, that's, don't, don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be the guy. That's their thing. That's their lane. And they, you don't know what they've done for it. They may have worked very hard for it and always deserved it. They, they may have years of experience of doing whatever's needed for that show and you don't. Or they could just, it could be their uncle works for that company. Who knows? But whatever it is, that's their opportunity. They've got it. Let them do their thing. Focus yeah. on your thing. But I, th I think if you keep seeing all the time, it will get you into that mindset. So if I, I, I mean, I'm happy for people doing well, but I, I, I have to, if I keep seeing it, I'll like hide this <laughs> post or I'll hide something. Because if I keep seeing it, it will, it will, it will, it will work you a bit. Like fair enough, yeah. you're doing well, you're showing it possible. But if I keep seeing it, it's going to go down that valley. So you have to we, get away from that. We got to remember, so especially with social media, it's everyone's highlights, isn't it? You're comparing your outtakes. To their highlights yeah you, you you know your whole day so you know when you woke up you opened the milk dropped it smashed it on the floor um you, you're running late for work you you drop something on your shirt you, you know what i mean someone's barged into you you forgot your oyster card you, you this is your whole day you've got all of this mess going on and then you switch on social media and then you've got someone who's on holiday just chilling on the beach in like Bali or something, he's like, okay, that's, here's my life. My life's rubbish at the moment. But you're ignoring the fact that, no, in their life, they've gone through all of that madness as well. They're actually deep in their overdraft to avoid, to to afford that trip to Bali. And now they're sat there on the beach just going, oh my God, I, I you know, my, my visa's messed up and I'm not going to have to get home. But the picture they're going to upload is the one on the beach. We're like, hey, having a great yeah. time and stuff. But that's all we see. So we're, it's not a fair comparison what we're doing. So we can, you get fixated on other people's highlights, but you're not comparing the same things. Definitely. Like you look at the inst, what I hear from a lot of people that they, yeah, they're, they're massively in debt. A lot of these people that show off, like Dan Brazilian, like, yeah. He he's he's supposed to be every guy's dream, having thousand women getting laid a lot. But he's a yeah. massive, massive debt, and he's in big trouble. Right? Yeah, because he's uh, he's poker, right? It's his. Yeah, and that's that's quite questionable as well. Like not very stable income. <laughs> I mean, it only takes one maybe game, and he's lost everything. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's what I mean. So yeah, it, so it's a similar thing to comedy, is. Yeah, someone might have been signed, but you don't know if they're, it sounds extreme, you don't know if they're, I don't know, their mum's got cancer or something. You just don't know what's going on in their life. So if you actually got a full list of this is their life, they've got this, 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 oh, and they got signed for this opportunity versus your life, and you're like, oh, actually, I think I'll take, if you saw it all on paper, be like, I, I think I like my life more than theirs. Theirs seems a bit of a mess. Like, <laughs> they, just, they just got that one good thing going on. Um, I think as comedians, we focus so much on just wanting, you know, the, it's almost, 
we've also got like a mind map of the things we want in comedy. Like, you know, we want, yeah, you've, you've got podcasts here. I've got my own podcast. You know, so you see, you'll see someone else say, hey, brilliant. We've got a hundred thousand listener. You're like, oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> Their podcast only been going for three weeks. <laughs> Have they done that? <laughs> and you're there going, oh, should I just chuck my podcast in the bin? Because what's the point? But uh, it's the thing of, well, you got to remember, why did you get into doing the podcast? Did you get into doing podcasts because you wanted to have thousands of listeners? Of course, you want as many listeners as possible. But if the essence of your podcast isn't about something you're actually interested in doing or interested in talking about, then, yeah, the podcast, the, having a podcast is going to become very tiresome very quickly. Yeah. Well, that's also a thing in comedy as well. I think there's there's quite not all of them, but I think there's a, there's a number of them that are doing comedy because they think it will get them on TV, not yeah. because it's what they like or what yeah, yeah. what's really what they want to do. hundred percent. Yeah, you can you can almost feel that when they're on stage. You, <clears throat> even if it's their, their their demeanor, their subject matter, whatever, it's just like you don't care. You don't care about this. You you don't want to you want to do this long term. It, I mean, it, it to an extent, it does work. But I mean, also, what you said there is a bit like, you know, you get a guy that's super nice to a woman just because he wants to have a bit of fun. Yeah. But and then you get the other guy that treats her like absolute garbage and then she's all over him. <laughs> it's true. Those comedians are the guy who treats them like rubbish, right? It's true. It's whatever reason people are drawn to them. It's going, yeah. yeah, it just seems that like this guy doesn't care about, <laughs> about the comedy. We need to sign it right now. Just like, right, he, he doesn't want to do this. <laughs> it's it's exactly like that. It's it's, but it's. I think I think the good thing about pandemic it gives you a chance to think about things. Yeah. Um, but you you got into comedy through an interesting thing. You got into is it because you did a self development course? Now, yeah, so, there's a lot around self-development. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like I to hear what you'd say. I, well, I, I can give you, because this is a, a longer part, I'll give you the kind of full story on, on this. So so what happened was my brother, well, first is my brother's girlfriend did this self-development course. Then she got my brother to do it. And he was just like, cool, this is cool. And you got to understand, neither of them are, what I would have in my mind as your self-development type people. They're, they're, not, they're not weird. <laughs> <laughs> so when my brother, oh, literally, I think he had to be, there's a handful of people that if they said to me, do, you know, a self-development course, like, that's your thing, not me, go away. Because he said, oh, like, and he said to me, because I don't even think you need it. I just think you'd be the most interested and I was like, okay, I'm going, fair enough. He goes, just come on to the open day thing. Like, there's literally no pressure. It's just, it's just it's hard for me to explain what it's about or just come along. So I was like, okay, fine. And I'm walking into this building and everyone who worked for this uh, self de personal development company just freaked me out because they were just there smiling so much. It's like, hi, welcome. Oh, what's your name? And I was like, no, nah, this is a cult. You've literally taken me to a cult. What is this? And they were all just so happy. And they spoke in this weird terminology. And I was like, this is all 
just weird. It's just so, so weird. Don't like it. But my, uh, my arrogance said, I'm going to go and just see what it's about. It's not going to affect me. I don't care. I'm actually kind of going just to show, just to see how crap it is, just how rubbish it is. So, oh, so when um, I, know, I sat there through it, and they spoke about certain, they had like certain like theories and methodologies and stuff, and I was like, actually, fair enough. That's actually really interesting. And I was like, okay, that's that's really interesting. And then um, they go, yeah, so you know, you can just sign up at the back of of the room. Um, when it, if you if you're interested, and I was thought, I was going to sign up just to you know just to show that this course is rubbish. That's <laughs> what's going through my head. <laughs> so I signed, I signed up. So so then my brother came. He's like, oh, like where you been? I go, oh, I just signed up. He's like, really? I was like, yeah. He goes, I didn't think you would. And I was like, oh, I thought, oh, why not? And he goes, oh, he goes, I think it'll be good for you, but cool. Anyway. So fast forward a few months and now it's time to do the course. And, um, and the only thing they tell you in the course is just, um, they're really big on coachability, where it's just, just try something on, just try it. Um, they, they use the example of, you know, um, Karate Kid, um, you know, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's song, where he's like, wax on, wax off. And he's like, why am I doing this? And he goes, do you want to win or, or not? And it's just that's coachability is doing something that someone's telling you to do, not knowing what the outcome's going to be, but trusting that they know more than you and trusting that the reason they're telling you to do this because it's going to benefit you. So they're very big on that. They're like, just like, look, you're only here for three days. Do as we say for these three days. And if you don't like it, then never do it again. Never talk to us again. And that's it. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. If I'm going to be here for the three days, I'll, I'll let, I'll let go of all my inhibitions and I'll just do as you guys say. And um, when he was there, one per the guy who's, you know, uh, presenting it all, says, all right, put your hands up if, um, th th sorry, the thing I was talking about was being unreasonable. So in life, you need to be unreasonable because being reasonable limits you. Being reasonable allows you to make up reasons to not do things. You So if you want to, uh, I don't know, you want to travel the world being reasonable will say well I can't travel the world because I've got rent to pay and I've got a family and I don't have the money to travel around the world and how am I going to take the time of work to do that and so you've, you've being reasonable will stop you from traveling around the world but if you was unreasonable you would say well I want to travel around the world so I guess I'll quit my job um, and then if I travel to this country I can just get a part-time job there give me enough money to go to that country and then if you're unreasonable we'll end up working out how to do it so there go anyone in this room reasonable or too reasonable and i put my hand up said yeah i'm uh, my nickname at uni was the voice of reason so like all right come up to the front you, you've got to talk so okay cool and um they can give us a so they asked me what what job do you do and i was like oh i'm, I'm an accountant and that literally made everyone laugh their head off because that's probably like the most reasonable job you can have. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm an accountant. He's like, okay, and what did you want to be when you were younger? And I was like, an architect. And he's like, why, why are you not an architect? I was like, oh, because um, I was told that if you wanted to make money, you have to get, um, architecture is not the job. You have to get into architecture for the passion of architecture, not to make money. 
only the top architects make money. So I thought I'd get into accountancy because it's a good guaranteed salary. And he goes, wow, that's that's pretty reasonable. And I was like, yep, pretty reasonable. And then he goes, and um, how, how do you like your job? And I go, don't really like it. And he goes, so that's where what being reasonable has got you. He goes, so being unreasonable, don't try to think of an answer that will impress everyone. Just to clear your mind. If you could do anything in the world, what would it be? And I start to pause the thing. And he goes, no, you're being reasonable. I saw you, you, you trying to, you thought of something, you thought, how can I say it out loud that, the crowd will think, oh, that's, that's a normal thing to say. Goes, no, be unreasonable. What would you want to do? I said, comedy. And then he's like, right, why, why, what, what about comedy? When, when have you wanted to do comedy? And I was like, oh, I remember I was at sixth form. I presented this, um, this talent show and I was on stage. And I guess I was essentially telling jokes while hosting the show. And I was really enjoying it and people were laughing. And I loved that buzz of being on stage and having people laugh so I go from that point I always wanted to do comedy and they go what have you done with that since I go nothing I've done, I've done nothing with it um, except for go to comedy shows and just look at the comedians with pure jealousy and go I could do that and, and not do anything about it so he goes okay in the break you've got 15 minutes you've got to do something that gets you on the path of doing comedy in those 15 minutes and then I was like okay I don't know what to do he goes no no that's not what this course is about this course is about you putting something there and doing it find a way to get it done don't come back in 15 minutes without something that says you're on your way to doing comedy and I was like okay so I had 15 minute breaks so like how can I do it what do I do and I was like well I'm an academic person so of course it has to be a course I have to do and I was like Googling, it's like a comedy course. And I saw there was one in Brighton that was 12 weeks long, about 400 pounds. I was like, don't want to do comedy that much. So I was like, let's find another one. And then I found one that was a two day course, 99 pounds. And it was in London. I was like, right, I'll sign up to that. Sign up to it. And it was, um, came back into the room and I go, right, Darren, what have you done to make a step towards comedy? And I said, I booked myself onto this stand up comedy course. Uh, started in three weeks time and then like, everyone in the room's like clapping like yeah well done like you've now made your path and he goes right cool now are you going, are you going to pursue that I go well yeah let's, let's see what happens so did the course um, and while I was on that course the, they kept on saying one thing they told us is when someone asks you what what you are don't say you're trying to be a comedian say you are a comedian and therefore different opportunities will open up to you and I was like actually that 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 aligns with what I've just learned on this course as well so I kind of said I am a comedian so each time someone asks you what do I do rather than saying I'm an accountant but I do a bit of comedy on the side I said I'm a comedian even though I had no gigs booked nothing I just kept saying I'm a comedian and um yeah and I was in a barber shop and the barber asked me, what, what do you do? So I'm a comedian. And he was like, oh, wicked. He goes, where can I see you? And I was like, um, you haven't got anything sorted at the moment because I had no, didn't know where to find gigs or anything like that. And then um, as I got out of the barber's chair, someone else sat in the chair goes, mate, you said you're a comedian. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, so you might know my friend. And he said his friend's name. 
And I was like, I don't know that person. And then he said his, his stage name, but oh, his name's Kane Brown. Um, and Kane Brown is quite a big comedian. He goes, yeah, you should, um, he goes, yeah, you should just message him. He, like, he, he's, a, he's a friend of mine from school. So like, yeah, just message him, man. He, he'll, he'll get you a gig. And I was like, I can't just message Kane Brown. But because I was so still, I was so um, still in the mind frame of that course I just did, it was like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I'll message him and he'll ignore me. That's it, really. But the best thing that could happen is he gives me a gig. So I was like, I'll message him. So I just messaged him randomly. Go, hi, Kane. Uh, this guy said for me to message you. Uh, I was just wondering if I could gig sometime. He's like, oh, yeah, when you've got five minutes of material, come down to, to Hideaway in Streatham. And I was like, I've got five minutes of material. And he said, okay, we'll come down this weekend. And it was the bank holiday weekend, so there's like 250 people in there. And on that show um, was, it was Miss Mo Real opening up, then Will, uh, Will, uh, Will E, then Break, Travis J, then they put me on and then Kojo was headlining and Kane Brown was, <laughs> was the MC. So I was like, right, I've, I've seen four of these people before. I've paid tickets for four of these people before and I've seen two of them on TV. <laughs> I was just like, Jesus. Um, and that was my first gig. And then from then on, I just thought, right. I went from never thinking about comedy four weeks ago to now being literally on a stage that I've sat in a crowd of months ago going, oh, I want to do that, but not doing anything about it. Then suddenly I was on stage doing it. And I was just like, this is absolutely nuts that this is happening. But then from then on, I've just tried to approach comedy in that same vein of, yeah, just go for it. Just whatever you want, just kind of just put your head down and give it your best shot and see what happens. And if you ever have anything in your head that says, oh, I shouldn't do that or can't do that, then definitely do that. Because <laughs> you just don't know what's on the other side of, of that wall, that mental wall you've put up for yourself. There might be something really interesting on the other side of it. So is there something that said you don't do it or uh, maybe I'll, well, not so don't do it, I can't do it or it's not reasonable for me to do that, then definitely, definitely do that. <laughs> Challenge yourself. Yeah, 100%. So, and that's, that's good. I mean, that's, that's, with, with a, yeah, because you hear all these stories of self-development with cons and like these things with Dan Locke and oh, yeah, Tony yeah. Robbins, these societies. Oh, mate, mate, let's, let's get into that. All right, so... <laughs> So, so because I went on that course, that doesn't mean I'm now a massive advocate for these courses because I think there's, there's everyone has to take their, their share of responsibility. So the course themselves do, but so do the individuals that go on the course. So for whatever reason, I had enough kind of mental strength to go on the course and be like, right, I am going to try and take out of this whatever I can and then everything else I'll just leave there. And so until this day, there are a lot of things I've taken from the course I think that is actually really useful. It's given me a good perspective on, on life. But some people went to this course and I was like, 
you don't need this course. You need therapy. <laughs> you don't, this, this course isn't for you. Like you should be definitely somewhere else. And the same way, like, so for example, be unreasonable. That was one of the, that was the, the ethos of, of one of the lessons we were learning. Marvin, people were coming back from the break going, hey, do you know what? I realized I was unhappy with my job. So I just quit my job. And everyone's clapping in the room like, way, well done, well done. It's like, so what are you gonna do now? And she's like, I don't know. Just grinning like, cause she's just so high in endorphins. It's like, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I was like, you, you have kids and you have a mortgage and I bet you haven't even told your husband you've just quit your job. But I'm just there, it's like, oh my God, she just quit her job. Like she has no plan B. And granted, there, there were some people who did quit their job because they did actually have like a, another business on the side and they realized they wasn't putting enough time to that business. And they had enough, like they, their house is paid off. They, it, it's just them just not, you know, going for it. Grant, fair enough, brilliant. Round of applause to you. But like I said, there were some people like that woman who, like when we reconvened um, a few weeks, like a month after, it's like, so how's things going for you? So I wondered to people like, yeah, the, the business now I've focused all my time on that is really taken off. I've signed a big contract and my, and that's now my main source of income, my business. So brilliant. Th this course has worked for you. But there's the other person that was like, so how's it going? Like, yep, still still looking for a job. And you can see them like smiling, like I've, I've made a massive mistake here, but <laughs> and everyone's clapping them. Like, Ooh, I was like, how, this is so toxic. How are you clapping with this woman? She has ruined her life because she got too high <laughs> in this course. So it's people yeah. like that where it, it's, they've, they've heard something, it, it sounds good. It's made them feel good. So they've just gone, let's go. Let's just, let's go, we're going for it. And so you end up having people like that who do these Tony Robbins courses who just leave their husband, leave their wife, abandon their kids because actually the, their true love was a girl who they were in class with when they were 13. And it's just like, what are you doing? Just, like, like, yeah. just slow, it, slow it down. Yeah, so, but then, but then with these courses, so that's where I say the onus is on the people attending the course. But then the course, oh, it's a constant upsell constant upsell so it's like oh so you've done this course well we've got the next course that you can do that's just an, and if you do it now it's just only this much but guys if you don't do it right now uh it's going to cost you more you know basically if you go if you leave this room and have a think about it it's going to cost you more money so you have to do it now guys this is the time listen and because they've and remember they've spent three days you know, molding you into, hey, just take opportunities, opportunities. It's all about opportunities. Hey, you don't know what's going to happen. Do it. So now they're like, <laughs> it's an opportunity, but you have to pay for it. And you're like, yeah, why not? I'll pay some more money for it. And you see people signing up, like, hey, yeah, I can't really afford it, but I think this is really important for me. So just like, oh my God, like, what, what are you doing? And so it, it, it's that, it's that side of it where it's, yeah, and I remember I signed up for the next course and I was like, there's nothing more I can get from this. I've done one, I've done two of the courses. Your third one, there's nothing I can get from it. I don't want it. 
they rang my phone so many times. So, hey, Darren, uh, you know, she haven't booked for this course. And when are you going to come? I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to come. Like, why not? Did, and they just kept on calling. I was like, I know. And then after a while, I just stopped answering the phone. I was like, this is silly now. Like, you're, you're now harassing me. Like, leave me alone. So there's that side of it as well, where it's it does get a bit sinister and it does feel a bit predatory. It, 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 I think basically they don't do enough to filter out those vulnerable people. And those vulnerable people are the ones that are going to spend the most money and make the wildest decisions off the back of doing the course. How did, how did you not make the same mistake as others did? I think, I think because uh, I said I wasn't, I wasn't a vulnerable person. So I don't think many, a lot of people who did the course didn't make those mistakes. They, they just got, they just got from, like, if anything, most people who did the course just did okay. how many of the courses they wanted to do and were like, okay, yeah, I got what I wanted. Yeah. A lot of people did the course and was like, mm, don't really like this course because essentially what you're telling me is all my problems in my life are my fault. <laughs> and no one likes hearing that. It, you know, um, you know they, they've gone into this course going, everything that's gone wrong in my life is because of my terrible relationship with my dad. And then re- when they tell the whole room about their relationship with their dad, everyone's kind of sat there going, mm, I think that's you, mate. I think that's your issue, not your dad. Your dad sounds... That sounds like a reasonable bloke. It sounds like your issue. So they're just like this course that did nothing for me because I basically came on this course for it to tell me I'm the best. That is what the course did. So you get people who didn't get what they want from the course leave. People got what they wanted from the course, fine. And then it's those, I guess, 10, 15 percent who are super vulnerable. Uh, have used the course as some kind of crutch. The 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 courses replacing something in their life whether it's religion or because i think like i think humans have an instinctive desire to believe and follow something you know whether it's sport religion celebrities we we just want to be a part of something so with this they're like yes i'm a part of this 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 is my new home these are my new friends and this is i'm i'm fully committed to this is those people who end up you know selling their house and leaving their family because they want to be so involved in this thing even though no one's asked them to be that involved <laughs> but they love it and then when they come when the clouds part and they realize oh my god my life's ruined rather than them saying yeah i probably got a bit too into it they'll say this course did this to me it's these evil people at this at this you know organization that ruined my life and it's like it's a bit of give and take like you could have just not picked up your phone to them you didn't have to you know try and be there to buy extra courses and stuff so yeah Hmm. it's it's very yeah it's it's what you said it's it's a big endemic and it's it's funny how how some it's how it's so many people are going into it and completely depending on it for everything yeah no, definitely. I think that's the thing. That's a lot, lot of people get, yeah, a lot of people depend on a lot of things, right? Like, so they, that, that just becomes another thing in their life that they become dependent on. And that's a bit like comedy in a way, isn't it? Because sometimes you see it on stage that I spoke to John Godilla 
when people are trying yeah. to be like Lewis C.K. or going dark on proper topics, it's more like therapy rather than making jokes. And yeah. then you let out all that stuff and then no one's laughing. Yeah. And then it's just like, so for what purpose was that? Like, if you, if you're just happy just to get that out, fine. If you was able to make people laugh, then that must have felt very high, high cost to pay. You've, you've revealed all this dark stuff about you and no one's, the payoff is maybe people find it funny, right? <laughs> yeah. The payoff is now, okay, people just know all this stuff about me now. Okay. <laughs> and they get worried and they get yeah. nervous and awkward. <laughs> exactly. So, and but comedy and is a bit of a cult in a way as well. In a way, definitely. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely is a cult. Seems a bit um, seems a bit fractured at the moment, though, right? If you follow social media, um, in the sense of your political left and your political rights and it's always sniping at each other and, and to be fair most people uh i don't actually ever see them comment on anything i don't feel i've ever seen you comment on anything no. I, I i don't M most people you gig with you've never seen their name on any code but there's a vocal like every topic there's a vocal minority on either side who any debate you almost know which name is going to be there. Yeah. Just talking the loudest and and just arguing about it. And it's just odd. And it creates this kind of weird dynamic at certain gigs sometimes. That, that is just like, oh, the crowd's too left-leaning or the crowd's too right-leaning. It's just like, just try and be funny. Just tell your story about your life. And it should, if your jokes aren't particularly political, then it shouldn't actually matter if they're right-wing or left-wing. If your joke's about what happened while you was eating breakfast this morning like was what did it matter hmm. it's that's i mean it probably it, i think this is probably a worldwide thing in comedy though it costs the i think if you go there's all sorts of political rubbish going on and all sorts of people haven't got much, many things better to do no no it's just, yeah it does almost feel like a um a very it's a very um does feel like a very first world problem to to divide yourself over something that is essentially a choice and then to commit to this choice so much that you're now going to fall out with people like is politically you the political party you pick or align with you're not bored into it it's not something that you you know what i mean that that that's inherited it's something you can literally just go oh i i support labor today and then tomorrow you could fully go no, I'm, I'm actually conservative. Uh, you could just do that. You could easily do that. But people talk about their political leaders in a way that it's almost so essential to them. Because they now hate the other team. And it's just odd to me. It's a form of racism in a way. Because you, I think you did the <laughs> post in a way. Because when, when, when the conservatives got in, like so many comedians were very loud and saying that everyone's stupid or this and that. And in very yeah. effect, you're doing the same thing that got them in in the first place you insult people for voting the other side so they don't yeah. tell you they get more drenched in voting that and then the same thing's going to happen again and then you keep yeah. saying it and you keep saying it but that's what's going to keep happening so why do you keep doing it and it's so right it's it is a form of racism like yes yeah, conversations just it's, say. It's, yeah it's, it's tribalism that's what it is really it's just you've, you've picked your tribe and you've gone this is this is my group 
and this is what we do and the other group are stupid the other group are wrong and they they are just they're, they're just two-dimensional they they they're, they're just this list 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 i'm saying list <laughs> the list of uh of characteristics this is all they do and that's that's the other side so you voted leave for brexit you're stupid you're racist you're northern <laughs> so whatever that whatever it is like you get that in especially like from people in london is like that that's what you are and then the same way that if you uh it's just anything or if you're or the other way where it's if you're left-leaning it's like oh you're you're woke you're a baby you're you're sensitive you're this and stuff so it's never a thing of, oh actually you have a valid point or i don't understand your perspective can you please explain it to me it's just no i know what you are and i don't want to hear it because i've had enough of you even though i've never heard your opinion <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 madness, isn't it? It's just, but I mean, <sighs> and there's so many groups that sort of incentivize the toxicity and the madness of it. Yeah. But one of the things that you did say, so you you've you've performed quite well in sort of you need know, to talk about tribalism and this and that. But yeah. one of the thing is like in the UK, you got two sort of circuits, isn't it? like the mainstream and yeah. the I don't know. What's the correct term to call it? Because they say it's urban, the black. I, I don't know what what's the right way yeah. to say it. I don't like either of those names, to be honest. It's, it's odd because I guess it is. It, it, it's hard how, how you want to describe it because saying that black circuit would imply that some people would infer that means there's only black comedians on it, but that's not true. Um, I guess it's to the, the subject matters are kind of about black culture. And there's a lot of comedians um, on that circuit who like, aren't black who do very well on it just because they grew up amongst black people. So they they know certain things about whether it's African culture or Caribbean culture or day-to-day -day kind of black British things. Um, and then I guess urban, they use, but yeah, I guess urban, for me, I guess probably urban isn't the most accurate description. I think black is actually probably a better description of the circuit. It's, it's black comedy in the sense of just the subject matters. But yeah, there are there are two. It does, I guess there's probably are more than two circuits, but I guess those are the two circuits that I'm I'm on. So that's, those are the two circuits I see, like the two circuits I kind of navigate. But, but are they like the, would you say the bigger ones then? The, the main ones that are sort of because I, I, I heard from that they're both quite different in a way like the mainstream I hear pays a lot less than the black circuit and you from one of the interviews there you said they're a bit more brutal and honest in urban circuits like if they don't like you they tell you straight whilst in here they will water it down and be polite and you have to take their not laughing as them saying your shit yes uh, them being polite and that, that comes all levels. So from the booker to the crowd, the yeah, the mainstream circuit, the booker will be polite to you, but they will never pick up your call again or reply to your emails. Whereas at least on the black circuit, you'll bomb and the book will be like, wow, what happened? Because when I saw you before, this is the reason why I booked you. Like, and then you talk it out and you're like, oh, I think this, this, this. Go, okay, cool. Well, you know. We'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens so you know that okay they're not going to book me again for a while but at least i know 
if I could if I can show that I've improved or I can show this has changed, then we could actually rebuild a relationship. Um, so it's you've got that kind of brutal honesty with other comedians and the bookers with the crowds. But yeah, with the black circuit, um, the thing that it lacks by its building is that level underneath. So the top level in the sense of big stage shows, you've got some amazing shows that I've been a part of. You know, I've performed at Hackney Empire, um, Indigo 02, um, as part of, part of shows there, as well as theatres up and down the country as well. So, you know, 200, 300 people. And you, you get these, and I guess on the mainstream circuit, you would have to be gigging for six, seven years to eight years at least to be setting foot on stages like that. Um, but then what it lacks though is that level below where it is the kind of clubs and open mic nights where you can actually work on new material and really test it out to the crowd that are going to effectively be at these big shows. So you don't, so you end up, so what I end up doing, a few of us do who kind of traverse both circuits is you're on the open mic nights on the mainstream, trying to try jokes about, you know, being Jamaican or being black or, you know, navigating race in the country to a majority white crowd. If it's in London, potentially a white middle-class crowd. And you think, right, I'm going to deliver the joke to them. They might not get it, but let's see how it goes. Knowing that you're doing these jokes in preparation for Saturday, that you're going to be doing a, a crowd of 300 people who are mainly black, who are all from an urban area like London or Birmingham. And it's like, right, I've tried this out on middle-class England. Let's see how it's going to work with these guys. I think it's going to work with these guys. And you're kind of taking a risk on stage at, at that moment. So it's, it's a bit odd that you can't actually work out the material before you get there. But there's not that many opportunities do, to do that. Ah. And does that yeah. make it better in a way as well? Because I heard from one pro comic, he doesn't really do the new material night. He just goes on and does the pro night and he fits the new material in between. And he yeah. feels that when someone says that they're doing new material, you shat on a swimming pool because you're already revealing that it's new material. He, he, yeah, he... because effectively what you're saying is every other bit of material isn't new. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. I, I, like, I do like that expression. You <laughs> shat in a swimming pool. <laughs> that's brilliant who, who said that are you able to say who? uh it was he, he's all right with me saying it uh yeah. howard smith he's been going okay. for like 20 odd years or something yeah he said that that's fantastic no it's true I'm, I'm gonna keep that in mind actually and so i think i've yeah have, have i ever said that on stage I don't ever said it on the big stage i tend to say it when the joke dies um, but I tend to say it as a joke when it's actually not new material. It's actually a joke I've done loads of times. So it's always a joke for the comedians or anyone who's seen me before. If I tell the joke, it dies. Go, well, that was a new joke. And then the other comedians, you just hear them in the corner burst out laughing because, like, we literally seen you do that last. Like, that is not a new joke. <laughs> we, we know that's one of your bankers that it didn't work. Um, but yeah, um, it, it is. 
does it make it better to just be doing new material on sometimes yeah sometimes you, you get into a rhythm of things you get a bit carried away and have having fun and then the kind of new joke you think yeah i want to risk it i've had them laughing for this much and it's it's quite egotistical it's like i've had them laughing with this stuff i reckon i can make them laugh with this brand new joke and go for it stuff and um, yeah and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but then hopefully you've got a decent joke lined up straight after that you know you, you win the background and and it gives you the pressure of having to do better and maybe that yeah. makes you perform better as well and be better as a comic because if you always go to the new material nights where there isn't that pressure to get better or good then maybe you get complacent and you don't make it as good yeah i think so because like with certain new material nights it does feel very workshoppy like you know it's a small room with only a few people there maybe mainly comedians so then you don't really get any true feedback on your new material you're just there saying it out loud in front of other people whereas there's other nights where it's a new material night or well, sometimes it's not new material and i always try to continue writing so similar to what you guys said before it's I'll just try and sandwich in some new material in between two jokes that are no work. And in my head, I'm like, right, the crowd might not have recognised it, but I definitely recognised that the laugh was here. Then I did my new material, the laugh's where they're here. And then yeah. I did another joke, the laugh's where they're here. I was like, okay, this new material is not as good. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's like, laugh's here, laugh's here, laugh's here. Or sometimes it's even a higher laugh when your new material is like, oh, right. I should probably throw my other stuff away. <laughs> this, this, new, this new stuff's actually much better. I should probably try to work more on that. Hmm. And with both of the circuits as a whole, what would you say each each circuit has taught you? Um, so I think the mainstream circuit is about... Um, yeah, so, different, so the different lessons I've learned and then there's, I think there's lessons that goes across both. So, because the mainstream circuit is, I guess, I guess because the frequency of gigs, I'd, I just always like to write new material all the time. So it just, it allows me to try in front of different groups of people, I think. So, although, um, yeah, because it's unfair. Call it the mainstream, sir, because there's different there's different types of rooms within that that just give all classes mainstream. But I guess they're not. So, you know, uh, a, a, a gig midweek in West End of London is going to be very different to a gig on a Friday out in Essex. It, the, you know, if it's in a football club or a you know, a social club and they, they've got a gig there. It's going to be kind of a different, there's going to be a different crowd to the people that are midweek in, in London. So you might have a younger, more student crowd in, in London, but then you have an older, maybe more working class crowd out in, out, out in Essex. Um, so it I guess it gives your material more stress, more stress testing. So I guess learn, learn that. Um, then and also because of this so there tends to be so many people on, on the night on in the mainstream you've got to learn to generate your own um guess your own energy for for the night kind of thing so because this person's actually you know very low energy act you've got to now generate your own energy 
off and to, to get your laughs for if you're more high energy um, performer. Then on the black circuit, definitely you learn stage presence because it's just bigger stages, bigger stages, bigger crowd, more judgmental crowd. So just get into the funny as, as soon as possible. Um, just, yeah, just, just hit, you've got to prove that you're, especially if there's faces on the poster and they know that person, they know that person, they've come to see that person and you're just there. So it's the thing of, right, no one's, no one knows me, no one has any idea who I am. I've got to just smack them in the face with something really funny, like straight away. And um, yeah, so I think you, you learned that. And then like I said, so you can take, so you, I take what I learned from that side into the mainstream. So then when I get onto stage in the mainstream, people tend to go, oh my God, you're so confident and your stage presence is amazing. And it's like, yeah, it's just because what I've learned from that side is you've got to kind of control the room and command the room and say, I'm I'm funny, I'm the most important person in the room, you have to listen to me. Um, and then what I learned from both sides is, again, it's that authenticity, is if you're, but I think every comedy crowd, um, more, more so the black side, if you're authentic, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, they'll go with it if they believe that's who you are. Uh, I've seen like, I've seen like the nerdiest kind of white comedian to go on stage, I'm not sure I'm going to do well. And it's just like, just do you, because they just see this black crowd and go, an urban crowd, it's just not their people. And they go, I'm not sure I'm going to do well. It's like, just do you, just be you. Don't try to tell a joke about Lewisham because that's not where you're from. Don't do it. Just do your weird act that you do. And they do it and the crowd look at them and go, what's going on? And then there's like, you seem to start looking at each other and then kind of thinking, she's this guy's kind of funny he's weird as hell but it's <laughs> kind of funny kind of thing. it's like yeah because everyone just likes authentic just just be you and they go all right that's just that's just who you are you're being who you are fair enough fair play that that was that was decent not not usually my thing but i found you funny um and i think on the mainstream as well it's the thing of yeah you just don't try to pander to the crowd don't think you can work out who the crowd are just like all oh, they're middle-aged and so they're probably going to be more conservative. So I shouldn't really tell any left-leaning jokes or just, no, you don't know who they are. You don't know, you just judge them what they look like. So just go and tell your jokes. I think the best bit of advice someone told me about material is, say if you're doing 10 minutes, you've got 10, it's not 10 minutes to work out what the crowd likes. It's 10 minutes of the crowd entering your world. You're, you're, this, this is you on stage. So you, they're entering your world. Whatever you're talking about is now what's interesting. And you've got to make them believe that's what you find interesting. That's what you find funny. And they have to go with that. I, I said, I always remember seeing this, I can't, remember what the, I can't remember what the guy's name was, but his act was just one of the oddest acts I've ever seen. It was just absurd. It was weird. Oh. It, no, it was. It was absurd. It was, it was nonsense. But... It was hilarious. It was just hilarious. And it, and if someone described his act to me, I was like, I don't want to see that. I, that's what I've said before. I don't want to see it. But because of the way he just did his act, committed to it, the first two minutes, he wasn't really getting laughs. But because he was just like, 
cloud on with it. After a while, I was like, I, do you know what? This, this, whatever I'm what I don't know what I'm watching, but this is actually becoming more and more funny. And I feel like I'm losing my mind because I'm now seven minutes in, I'm in tears laughing with this guy because he's just committed to his strange act of whatever he's doing. He's like, this is hilarious. And now he's just doing certain things. Like, I, if someone told me I was going to be laughing at that at the start of tonight, I would say, not a chance. That's not funny. But because he just committed to it, you're entering my world. And then when I saw that, I go, if this guy is, is doing jokes and he's hardly using words and he's making noises and he's using props and he's making people laugh, then it's like, I, I should be able to make people laugh with using words. <laughs> this guy's put himself at a massive disadvantage and still making people laugh. So I'm like, yeah, it, it's, it's doable. Just have to let people enter your world. Hmm. And it's, 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 yeah, don't give a fuck sort of thing. Yeah, that's it. That, that, I think people really feel that. When they, you go on stage and you say something a bit odd and then you kind of clamour up because they don't laugh, everyone goes, oh, who's this guy? But if you literally go on stage and you say something straight, if you, when they go, oh, I fucking hate babies, everyone will be like, what? <laughs> but because you've said it with such, oh, anger, people are like, the, what? who is this nutcase? But now they're like, I'm listening, though. Like, what, explain. And then if you deliver your joke in such a way, people are going to go, I, I don't even care whether I agree or disagree with what he just said. What he just said is so funny. Because it's just, even if I disagree with it, it's funny. If I agree with it, it's funny. It's just an odd perspective to have. Like, how does this guy hate babies? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just, it's... It's that thing of I'm saying what I'm saying with confidence. I'm saying what I'm saying. It could be because you think it's right and you deliver your jokes in a way that because that's what makes it funny that you think you're right. Or you deliver your jokes in a way that you know, the crowd know that you know that what you're saying is actually wrong. They, they might laugh at that element of it, but it's working out what is it that people are finding funny about your material and, and kind of leaning on that. Hmm. And that's... And what, so is that probably your biggest what the fuck moment in comedy? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, being, being another comedian, yeah, I'm watching it. I can't remember his name, though. I can't remember his name. I, I've got in my head that he is, so I wouldn't mind saying his name because, like I said, I actually rated him really highly. It was just, a, it was more of a, it was a, it was a watershed moment for me in the sense of working out oh like he taught me a lot about comedy just in that in his 15 minutes of comedy of ah like something just ticked in my head about oh wow it's one thing walking through a room of people who you think oh they look like me they're like me I can make them laugh great well done like you've made them laugh but like I said this this was a gig in Tottenham this crowd were old uh, like, I guess, yeah, average age of that room must have been about 60, like, black, Caribbean people, um, and this guy was white, Scandinavian guy, he's even Norwegian or Danish, and it was just absurd, it was just, just like, that was his, act. it was like absur absurdism, absurdism, it, that was his, I was thinking, how is this going to work? And I remember him saying before he went on stage, because 
himself. I'm not sure how this is going to work, but here we go. And then, like, <laughs> he just marched out on stage and just did his thing. And then they were just in bits. They, but like I said, it was so that was my kind of what the fuck. But oh no, that's really cool. That's that's really really cool that he just went. I don't care. I'm, I'm going for it. This is my act. This is what I'm bringing. This is what they're going to get for 15 minutes. And he just went for it and he, he turned around. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's something I've I sometimes found as well. It, I mean, this from the lower gigs. When I when I try writing a joke, it doesn't go anywhere. But there's been times where I just go and say, I talk about something and I don't try and be funny. And I said, yeah. not being funny. And I've not recorded it. And then boom. So yeah, that's. Yeah. That's so, yeah, it's, it's letting people because what happens is when you talk, you're um, although it might not be material, so it's hard to replicate it. You are again, you're being authentic, so you just so sometimes we've all had it where a gig might be going well, but your biggest laugh will be when you don't, your joke doesn't do well, and you literally you'll say it in such a way, go, oh, that, this is going shit, but you'll say it in such a genuine way. That the crowd will burst out laughing because it's like, oh, like, okay, phew, he, he's not crazy. He knows that this isn't going well. <laughs> we're, oh, this is, oh, this is reassuring. I thought this guy thought this was going well. Now it's less awkward, and it's like, no, I know this isn't going well. And then you start moaning about things, and it's just, guys, what is this? His lights really bright and it's hot, and and you start just talking, and they're like, oh, no, this is hilarious because this guy is just. Oh, he, he's funny, but it's because you're being authentic. So it's being able to, and it shows that's part of the act. You know, you you write a joke that's from an authentic place, but then you've told it so many times that it starts sounding very rehearsed and it doesn't sound authentic. It doesn't sound like it's from you. It almost sounds like it's written by someone else. Uh, and then it's been able to deliver your own material in a way that makes the person go, oh, they just thought about that then and that's how they feel and that's come from, that's come from their heart, what they just said. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that, I think. Hmm. It's about being in with the audience. Yeah, being in the moment and, and yeah, because I've seen that before as well, being in gigs where someone's in the middle of a, you know, well-rehearsed bit and then say the waitress, the waiter comes in and drops some glasses, and they'll like kind of look at the they'll look at the waiter, and then just carry back on with their material. I was like, you, no, you've got you've got to, you've got to. Everyone's looking at, at all this drink on the floor and stuff. You're just there, gonna go. So as I was saying, I was on a holiday with my mum. This is like no, or or you've got to at least deliver it in a way that makes people know this guy's a nutcase that he's just carrying on. So it's going like, oh, anyway, like, yeah, and everyone knows, oh, okay, you're taking the mickey that, you know, you, you're pretending to not notice that's happened. But yeah, I've just seen some people just kind of just lock in and just go, right, now I'm just grabbing the mic, strangling it, but I'm just going to read my material. And, yeah. And, and, that and that's it. Yeah, and it's like, no, relax. Let's all laugh at the person who's dropped the drinks. Let's... What, what are the things about that person dropping the drinks in that moment that's actually made us all laugh? Is you've got you know, usually you have the very British thing of someone going, and you're just like, Yeah, it's only in Britain that <laughs> then you start, you start picking on that. That's like, All right, and it's going, It's hilarious. Look at us all just watching this person have a crap day at work. Not one of us are trying to help them, 
just <laughs> and you know you start to pick it out all the elements of it that it's like oh yeah this this is funny or if i was in that person's shoes how would i feel start talking about that is even asking that person are they all right is is somewhat funny because they're just like i don't want the attention but now you've put it all on me but it's, it's those kind of things that if you're not relaxed in the moment or i guess experience as well it wouldn't even cross your mind to do that stuff mm. you're just going to go i need to get back on to my material because in my head i prepared 10 minutes of material i am six minutes in i've got four minutes left to deliver four minutes of material and this person dropping this glass has ruined it it's like no if you don't yeah. get to do your, you don't get to do your final joke you don't do your final joke it's fine just do your 10 minutes just be funny for 10 minutes and get off stage it's, it's fine yeah i've seen that that's that's that sometimes gets a bit annoying when i see that where they, they, they don't play on anything that's there they do this set and it's we're not we're not in church we're not that <laughs> <laughs> no, is true i was like because you notice if you ever get like a professional come to your, your gig like the first thing that if they've been there if they're opening or if they've been there all night they'll if they've been there all night, they'll see if anyone else has done it if no one spoke about the room the first thing they do they come in and they just start picking out things in the room and so like, oh, yeah this is exactly why i wanted for a gig i wanted a gig that has this stupid window behind me and i wanted a gig that had a piano in the corner that's got the keys missing everyone looks oh yeah that's this i wanted a picture on the wall and they just start picking the room apart and just like oh wow i've been in this room for two hours and i haven't i didn't notice any of this stuff or i didn't say anything about it i did think it was weird but i didn't mention it but then this pro comes in and just goes right i'm so in it lets everyone know i'm so in the room i've noticed everything that's weird about it now i'm going to go into the crowd oh i see you two there da, da, da. And they start picking on things in the crowd and it's like oh wow this guy's amazing he's just picking on all these things and it's all stuff that we've all noticed throughout the night. But because as comedians, we've just gone, I'm here to do my 10 minutes of material and that's it. I, 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 I can't look at anything. I don't want to talk to anyone before I get on stage because I need to do these 10 minutes. So, yeah. But yeah, what you said there sounds a bit like some of the mindset is, right, I need to do the material. Fuck the audience. Uh, let's let's see how it's going to get me in a good competition. Let's see how it's going to get me on TV, and I have to go through all that. Sod making people laugh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People always forget why they got into comedy. I got into comedy because I like making people laugh. It's like no, now I like to deliver my material to get to get from place A to place B and stuff. So yeah, it's that thing of to, to get on stage, have your material there because you you are there to make people laugh. And failing everything, you rely on your material. But if there's other stuff going on, don't be scared to actually discuss that and yeah. talk talk about that. It's, it's, yeah, and I said you've seen those. Like you've seen it. People dropping glasses. Get back to material. You've got a bloody fire engine going past the gig, and they're just trying to shout over the sirens. It's like, mate, just what are you doing? Just, just let the siren go past. Make a joke about the noise of the siren. They get back into material after, but like it's not that important that you get it all out and all that material out in those 10 minutes. So you don't have to do yeah. it. Exactly. And yeah. there's always time you could do writing or doing other things. Yeah. Now, I want to say one thing. It's been good to have a chat. It's been good to. Yeah, man. It's been fun. <laughs> 
It's we haven't seen you for a while. And to be fair, like, Bob, you you were one of the first, uh, you were one of the first gigs I think I did when I started doing comedy and stuff. But it, yeah. It's the laughs and Hammersmith and stuff. So, yeah. So, no, uh, yeah, so I should give you thanks. So, thanks for that for, for being was... one of the first gigs I did. Well, the funny thing about that was quite funny. I remember, I think there was a bit that went well, and, and then I was struggling a bit as an MC, and I set the theme about what's it called religious jokes or something yeah and then you did some you you smashed the gig with the religious jokes or something <laughs> yeah. and then the night started getting back again and then it was easier to host again like it right. seemed I, I remember i was struggling there and because yeah. you did well it was easier to ride off and for the night to be good <laughs> yeah because i just remember because i when I started doing comedy it was one of those weird ones where i thought uh people did new material every time they gigged that's, that's a shame what I thought. I just didn't realise comedians, you know, try to build their 10, 15, 20 minutes and just move that material around and and, and shop it around. But, um, so when I saw this night, because oh, it's a themed night, you have to write religious materials. Like, okay, let me write five minutes of religious jokes. So I just, I just tried to write, as, you know, much as I had one or two jokes that were already, that I already had in my head anyway. Uh, so I thought that's just what you do, just turn up and I, and I found it strange. Like, why is there no more themed nights like this where you have to write new material for it? But um, yeah, I do remember that. And that was when I also used to just rock up to gigs straight from work with no change of clothes. So I think I was wearing like a suit yeah. <laughs> as well. And I was just, it never occurred to me, it's like, you look like an absolute nutcase, <laughs> like in a full, in a full suit delivering like delivering these jokes but um yeah so now i don't turn up to gigs in a, in a full suit but <laughs> i used to so it worked though isn't it and that's that's what <laughs> yeah because i think i did another gig where um the theme was like commuting or traveling so, and i because i was wearing a suit it really added to like the character of that that i'm in a suit and yeah this guy definitely commutes people believed in what i was doing but <laughs> No, it's 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 been good to it's been it's been good to see a lot of um, comics do do well from the gig. Like there's yourself, there's what's it called? Ali's done quite well as well. Yeah. There's there's been quite a few that I've seen come up that have done quite well through the gigs. And uh, Ali's done fantastically, hasn't he? So yeah. Yeah, bloody twenty five thousand TikTok bloody bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I've done, I've been down to Vauxhall Comedy Club and it, I've asked him, like, how's it feel? Because People generally are there to see Ali Woods. That's that's what they're there to do. So when he goes on stage, he goes, oh, who's like, who's seen me before? And it's actually like a big crap, like big cheer. And the fans like, oh, cool. It's like, is this the first time you see? And then like, who's here? It's the first time seeing me. He's like, yeah, like, who's seen me from Instagram? And then like, how do you, why are you here? So like, oh, I follow you on Instagram. And I was like, oh, right. It's actually translating into like bums on seats. So it's like brilliant. Because you get a lot of people who have lots of followers, but it doesn't translate into bums and seats yeah and isaac hp's had that he's sold out quite a few brighton shows and yeah. the 40 50 people he's got a million followers on tiktok and it's gone straight to it and it's yeah that that's the thing so if you get your followers i think after you get your followers then you can really just start putting on your own shows and you use use the other gigs to just get your material sorted but once you've got 30 minutes 40 minutes just get on the road and start 
It's hard to go, just tour it around because people are there to see you. If you've got 40 minutes of material and people are there to see you, I can guarantee you can go on stage for an hour, hour and 20, because you'll just be able to be yourself and just play with the material and play with the crowd and you'll be able, you'll be fine. But it's finding your crowd. That, that's every comedian's challenge, really, is being able to find their crowd. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's audience for everyone. Every comedian I've seen... Even if they tell one funny joke throughout their set, well, well I say one. Well, if they tell one joke that I find funny throughout their set, that's just me. There's someone out there that is going to be like, I'm totally locked in with this person's personality and their perspective on life. And it's just finding, oh, but what tends to happen with us is you find one person per gig. It's like, okay, I've got that person, I've got that person. And you're building them very slowly. So if you just get enough people in one go, you can just be you and just go nuts. Yeah, and that's that's part of the thing with big comedians. They've they've got that so they can. Not that they're not very good and they've earned it, but that's no. easier. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, one of the things I want to say, it's speed. I'll, I'll probably see you at a gig soon. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Instant laughs. Uh, but what? Um, for everyone that's listening in right now to this episode, how do they find out about you and get in touch with you? Sure. Um, so you can find me on my website, which is just um, darrengriffiths.com. Darren is D-A-R-R-A-N. Uh, Griffiths, G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H-S.com. And in social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and they're all at Griff the Joker. Um, at all three of those so yeah um, have a few stand-up clips on there I have my um, one-man show on YouTube called Essex Boy uh, which I filmed at the Camden Fringe in 2019 um, so yeah so that stuff's there so that's an hour of free material for people to see um, and you know I guess I uploaded that on put on to force me to write new material and stuff so which is just work so it's, it's mainly have to write all new things so that's that's the next challenge to write the next hour like twitter and you have to yeah just keep, keep going <laughs> cool well everyone make sure you follow darren uh it, it's been a pleasure guys uh make sure you give this podcast a review on itunes and amazon subscribe follow and also drop me an email on info at instant-laughs.com if you have any ideas or suggestions, and I'd love to hear from you guys.